Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Well, we are once again back on Alex Garrett Podcasting. So glad to have Luigi Squeegee, Bat Boy alum for the Yankees on. But my next guest is talking about a very important uh, happening tonight. As I mentioned, Texas is reeling. They're still recovering. Electricity is coming back to millions of Texans. But I'm going to go to Dallas, Texas right now and talk with a man who was recommended by Jeff Crilly and uh, his PR news firm, uh, Mark Herrera. I'm so glad you were recommended to, to discuss this because you're right in the heart of Texas in Dallas. There, you're the director of education for International Association of uh, Venue Managers. You're a crisis expert. But first of all, I wonder how you guys are doing personally down in Dallas right now. Alex, thank you for asking. First of all, it's truly a pleasure uh, to be a part of your show. Um, you know, excited to speak to your audience and uh, and provide information that hopefully will be beneficial, a little bit of insight. But uh, we're doing good. I mean, we're, uh, you know, we, we've been hit and plagued with a little bit of adversity, you know, ever since this, uh, you know, the inclement weather and, and the, the freezing, the below freezing temperatures. Now, they affected a lot of people in Texas and and uh, including myself, you know. So, uh, again, we're still trying to power through, uh, you know, pun intended, um, and, and work through the, the major chaos. But, uh, you know, recovery efforts, we had a, a really good day today, Alex, and the sun was out. And, uh, you know, Texans were, you know, I was reading posts and just communicating with uh, industry professionals. They couldn't have been more happier to, to see the sun than ever, than ever before. Mark, I was just going to so, say... The sun is out. I mean, Texas is a very hot place, so to even hear that the sun is out as a relief is very shocking to me. It is because typically it's like, wow, it's uh, it's 100 plus degrees here and it's hot and humid, and uh, well, we could use a a little bit of a cold front. Well, I don't think we're going to be wishing for that here for quite some time now, Alex. So yeah, ironically, it's like, uh, you know, this is the one time that we're, you know, Texans are looking forward to, uh, and those that have moved into Texas recently. Are looking to see some sunlight, and then we did today. Well, you were also part of the Department of Homeland Security, but let's go little by little here. Uh, you've had Texas leadership, unfortunately, someone in Cancun, Ted Cruz. I know you don't want to get into all of this, but as we said, he was in Cancun. Uh, Greg Abbott tried to keep everything together. I got to be honest, but where did leadership? What what went wrong? Why did this happen for two point eight million Texans? Good Alex question. I'll tell you right now. Uh, leadership in the midst of crisis is a whole different DNA than just leadership, if that makes sense. Um, you know, leaders in the midst of crisis, those are the ones that really stand out. The ones that can stay in and hang in there and try to figure it out. And not the ones that are going to run from crisis and run from the problem and, and pretty much lead the people, you know, trying to fend and figure it out for themselves. The leaders will be an example. I, you know, I don't consider myself a great leader, but I can tell you this. I do have a passion to see people survive crisis in really bad situations. And as, you know, retiring special operations and going to Department of Homeland Security before I went to IAVM, that was my goal is to ensure that we protect, you know, all the venues and anywhere that crowds and people gather. And as I currently chair the Commercial Facilities Subsector uh, Council representing public assemblies, commercial facilities, I get these phone calls on occasion to share with the listeners on you know, how, how they can be, better manage the crisis and the adverse situations and what went wrong. And I can tell you right now that when I go out and train all over the world on, you know, the importance of having that strong leadership, I talk about that just that. When you look at leadership, it's, we emulate. 
you know, and we follow those leads. And when those leads aren't, you know, taking the appropriate action or responsibility and they're simply running from it, well, that, uh, you know, the, the leadership diminishes and the, the, the vote of confidence diminishes. And, uh, and that's what you can't have. You want, you want to have the strong leaders that really stand out. Well, and so I guess my question would be is, is leadership, who did stand out for you in your eyes? Who stood out to you the most? Was there actually citizenry, not just elected leaders, but citizenry that stood out to you more so than leadership? You know, that is a really good question. I'll tell you right now, you just said it. I can't, I can't point fingers at anyone uh, high up that actually took that, uh, that leadership role within our local community. I, I just, I, I, it's not saying that it didn't happen, but I didn't see it. But what I did see, I can tell you that what I did see was I saw citizens take a proactive approach to protecting themselves and just trying to figure it out and trying to uh, get through this and comforting each other and making sure that they were the support groups that, that were there for their communities. I can tell you that in my community alone, um, you know, uh, before I went out, because I've driven in this weather before as a, as a police commander, and I, I've driven it a, a million times. And so when I went to the store to try to get some provisions, I did let my community know. And, uh, you know, I always say, careful what you ask for, because when I asked them if they needed anything, <laughs> I literally had a full two-page list of people that needed items that just couldn't go out and get this, get these provisions for themselves. Surprisingly, when I delivered the, these provisions, it turned out that they were Many of them were elderly, uh, you know, people of age, and they couldn't get out under these conditions. And so I really felt, I really felt bad for these folks that, that struggled and that were in the, in the midst of darkness uh, during these, uh, these pow- the power outages. You know, we are in the midst of this pandemic still, so that has to weigh on a lot of people's minds, too. I mean, you know, social distancing alone, I mean, just you're in the cold, you're in a pandemic. How... <laughs> How challenging is it and to do it in a pandemic, to do this, not only because Texas is not used to it, they had to adapt to this, but then you're in a pandemic. Tell us about that aspect as well. I always say that, uh, you know, when I train, I always talk about the gift of life and the gift of life is adversity. You know, when we suffer, when we when we have to deal with adverse situations such as a health crisis, uh, we're now back to, you know, some of our venues have repurposed to vaccine distribution sites. Or that are attempting to get a vaccination can't because of the inclement weather. You talk about a health pandemic and then inclement weather, where we were below freezing um, and folks were, were struggling to uh, to basically survive these conditions. That those are those are some really intense adverse conditions. But I always tell these folks that when people come together, inclusive of leadership, we can handle just about anything. And at the end of the day, those that have made it in power do this. Um, this becomes a gift for them because it basically validates that, hey, if you can get through this, you can get through anything. And, uh, and, and I'm a strong believer in that, in that Alex. But, again, it's, it's going to take – it takes the communities to come together. But like you said before, it also takes strong leadership to really stand out. And, uh, you know, and, and, and again, that's, that's, that's what we emulate is, that, is, is the leadership capabilities. You know, this is adapting with Alex Garrett. I'm going to put you on the adapting feature because this is Texans having to adapt to something they've never felt in their life. I mean, two degrees in a day. Who would have thought that would hit Texas? So let's talk about adaptations. 
What did you see the most? How do they adapt the most to all of these frozen pipes, not working electricity? How did people adapt? That's a, yeah, that, that is a good question. I, you know, uh, shoot, Alex. I think that what people did was they found a way. You know, people in my community, for example, they found a way to, to, a, either we had All right, so some of the, uh, you know, local churches or facilities opened up that, that ran off of generators. These folks were able to actually, you know, seek shelter. Um, I can tell you right now that one of our convention centers, which is the uh, Kay Hutchins uh, Convention Center in downtown Dallas, they actually opened up for homeless. So they started busing the homeless, um, you know, to the actual con- to the convention center for shelter uh, to remain warm. But people were trying to find a way. And, uh, you know, within their own confines of their own home, I can tell you that uh, myself, you know, I did everything that I was uh, finally informed to do. And that was the thing. There was a, there was a really lack of transparency and in getting information out in a timely manner, especially when it came to these power outages. And listen, if, if, if folks kind of had an idea as to when these power outages were going to take place, I think that, you know, and this is my opinion that they could have potentially, um, you know, kept their pipes when there's some folks that didn't have electricity at all. So ultimately their pipes froze up, the water froze uh, and then they started suffering all of these leaks and the pipes were bursting. And I've seen the videos and the pictures and, and people asking for plumbers and et cetera, et cetera. But again, if they would have had a little bit of heat and a little bit of electricity at the time so that their homes were warm enough to at least keep the pipes internally from freezing, that would have been uh, very beneficial, uh, you know, as well. Yeah, I saw pictures of a frozen fish tank. I mean, in, in Texas, they had visuals of that. Very disturbing. Now, you are a facilities manager. You are... You are a venue manager, and you are part of this organization. So let's take a grocery store, right? You're the uh, director of education for International Association of Venue Managers, IAVM, Mark Herrera. How do you advise grocery stores to keep the COVID guidelines, keep the heat on, and keep people's comfort level way up during this time? How do you advise a venue to just keep calm, keep comfort? We have these calls uh, every week, uh, Alex. We actually have our biweekly town halls, and we have all of our committees that represent every venue globally. Um, we represent uh, performing arts convention centers, theaters, arenas, amphithe- stadiums, amphitheaters, fairgrounds. So we have weekly calls to understand and identify what their challenges currently are in the midst of the health pandemic and in the midst of crisis. We have a venue safety and security committee as well that also focuses on the security side that I oversee through IABM. There again, industry professionals where we all come together and identify what those challenges are. And the challenges that you're going to see is from a mental health perspective, people are already struggling as it is, right? If you think about it, people have been quarantined. People, uh, there's that level of uncertainty just on the health pandemic alone, Alex. Now you add the inclement weather and you add these facilities that are opening up where you have to have the proper health precautions in place. At the same time, you have to manage your crowds that are going in, in, in and out of your stores. And in the midst of inclement weather, kudos out to your stores and those facilities that are opening up to serve, you know, their communities and the, and, and the people. It's still, they have, to, they have to maintain compliance. They have to maintain the proper CDC requirements and health protocols 
in place at the same time. You know, I always say that even, uh, you know, your guest service teams within our facilities, when the events start up, they're going to have to manage crowds uh, that may or may not comply. And how are you going to do that? And we talk about providing the best in customer service guest experience and being able to empathize with people more so now than ever before, but at the same time being able to de-escalate situations that could potentially get uh, somewhat challenging for staff that are working the stores, facilities, venues, um, you know, and again, it's, it's something that I always say that, uh, that your frontline staff, those folks that work on the front lines, they're sometimes the most underpaid, undervalued, overlooked. But they're uh, the number one asset to any and every organization. I was going to say, it's about time they get a hazard pay, right? I feel like they still haven't gotten that uh, reward or that, that earned hazard pay that they should. Through IABM and our guest service conference, we recognize them. Through all of our committees, we recognize all the frontline teams. When I travel all over the all over the United States and other countries to, to train, I do a lot of the safety and security training all over it to include the sports leagues. And we talk about the importance and the value of frontline teams. And those teams that are boots on the grounds that their eyes and ears to every organization and every facility, whether it's during a health pandemic or securing a facility. Tremendous amount of responsibility and they deserve the kudos and, and the recognition, uh, Alex. You know what's interesting to me about the fact that you work at IBM? I mean, there are servers there pumped up every day that you actually have to keep cool. And I just think it's kind of interesting now that everybody's cold and then it's just, I don't know, just an interesting correlation where you have to keep those servers cool and now everybody's cold. That just, in my brain, it just popped up that way. No, it, it, you're absolutely right, Alex. Uh, again, just another, another, another challenge, actually. So, uh, um, so yeah, it's it's been quite uh, you know quite interesting, unexpected. But I can tell you right now that you know all of the safety. Well, if you think about it now, based on the power grid and everything that happened here, and you know the the, the comments of you know whose fault was it and who did what and who should have done this. But there's an investigation that's going to take place to determine hey, what are the things that we could have or that that could have been done better. You know, what were the lessons learned from 10, 11 years ago? What, what should we have done there? What could we have done better now? Uh, and how's it going to affect us in the future so that we can prevent this from happening? Uh, obviously, you can't prevent Mother Nature, but uh, you can take the, the safety precautions that you need way in advance to protect human life. And that's, I think, you're going to see that uh, there's going to be a lot of lessons learned from this as we move forward. Now, you have been part of the Department of Homeland Security, and I don't know if this ever crossed your mind, but... Texas has basically its own grid of its own. Um, did that ever cross your mind to, to you know, encourage people and leadership, hey, we should be joining the national grid? Is that something that should be talked about now? Because, you know, our grids are very big in a big part of Homeland Security, aren't they? All of your power grids? Are, uh, your, yeah, that's, in fact, one of our, uh, our subsectors uh, actually deals with, you know, a lot of the power grids and that, that supply energy. There's... So that is a big part, absolutely. You know, and you have to ask yourself, what what went wrong in Texas? That's the main question, right? Well, you got to you got to remember that the extreme cold is increasing energy demand at the same time the storm has reduced energy generation. Um, you know, and one of the uh, the major shortages has been the impact on natural coal, obviously gas, and the nuclear facilities. That's that's huge. If you think about this, in the summer, you know, here in Texas. It's about trying to get the heat out. 
right? So if you have 105 degrees outside and you're trying to reach room temperature of 75 degrees, that's a 30-degree variant. So the grid can handle that without any problem, right? But if you factor in 10 degrees to a 2 degrees, right, and you're trying to warm up a facility or a home to 75 degrees, that's about a 60 to 70-degree variant. So you see the difference. That puts more of a strain on uh, on the energy supply and, and obviously the grid at the end of the day. Uh, but the thing is, what could we do better? You know, it's you know information that I'm receiving is that you know properly winterizing, um, you know, anything that deals with the power supply is obviously something that really needs to be looked at. And I'm being able to, in advance, prepare people for uh, something ca- as catastrophic as this because now people are going to prepare themselves when. <laughs> right. I can I can tell you that when I hear something about you know there's a. You know, there's a cold front moving in, and it's going to bring down free. It's going to be below freezing. I can tell you, people are going to remember this. And I always say this is going to be a gift for a lot of the people that actually survived it in that they're going to be better prepared and equipped moving forward. You're, you're going to see power generators. I, I wish I had a I wish I had a company that just sold power generators at the end of the day. Yeah, hmm. I can tell you right now, uh, people are going to go out and try to prepare for these things again, but they're going to adhere to those warnings. And, Alex, please know that where – I know that there was some sort of failure along the way. I can also say that it's incumbent upon us, you know, to also be aware, you know, that uh, uh, we also have to take care of ourselves. And we have to adhere to any warnings or information that comes across that says, hey, it's kind of like a hurricane, right? Hey, you're in the line. You're in the path. Uh, You you know, we recommend that you evacuate. We have a lot of people that don't, right? They they assume weather the storm. Well, I'll tell you right now, some storms you may be lucky to weather. And in this in this case, there's probably over 40 people that didn't quite make it. And that's a you know, loss of human life. Mark, I'm very impressed that you have cell coverage right now because I know that that's an issue. How are you able to have, have cell coverage? And is there a report on how many outages cellular-wise? Are people able to use their phones or are there people not able to use their phones right now? There's a lot of people that can't use their phones. I can tell you that I have team uh, team members within IAVM that uh, you know we're constantly on the on the on the phone and on uh, obviously the Zoom calls, working with our entire industry, uh, helping them recover from the cell phone. And I can tell you that a lot of them are having a hard time just utilizing their cell phones. The phone, their calls are being dropped. Some of them can't even use their their phones at all. So it's it's definitely a challenge. Uh, there's there's no question. Communication is Communication issues is a concern. Do you think, though, that that Texas could eventually get on the national grid? Is that where they're heading to, or do they still want to be self-reliant with this? Well, I wish I could answer that, Alex. But I, that's that's something that's uh, you know obviously beyond my level of expertise and knowledge. I've heard the I've heard the buzz and the communication that you know is that something that uh, Texas should consider? That that I really don't know. You know. When Harvey happened, the whole country united around Houston. I mean, Houston strong. We were donating to places. Unfortunately, here, A, I'm not hearing any resources, really. Uh, I'm in New York, but I still am not hearing national any resources to help Texans. Maybe you might have some that people could donate to. But I'm also not feeling that rally of let's get Texas through this. I, maybe I'm wrong, but there just doesn't feel like that same unity that you guys had behind you during Harvey. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I can I can tell you this, Alex, in that uh, you know our president, our current president, 
did provide, you know, he has provided support and he's, he's been keeping track of what's going on. And, and, and I just saw that today where, you know, there were resources that were provided to Texas, but is it enough to, to support the millions of folks that were affected? You know, that's the question. Um, there may be local, uh, you know, there may be local organizations with some of the communities that are actually assisting and trying to help. I know that FEMA does a really good job in, in getting involved and trying to, trying to support uh, all of the facilities. I can tell you that our facilities are always quick to repurpose to assist, whether it's shelters, um, so folks can shelter in place, whether it's vaccine distribution sites, and our folks will get out there in front of, in, in front of their communities to make sure that, you know, that they manage, uh, they assist those people that are, that are in need. You know, and will, again, our community will not shut, shut its doors to, you know, to assist and help others. It, it, it just doesn't do that. Well, I was going to say, assisting others, are you, are you teaming up with, uh, you know, rival tech companies like Dell, like, like all these other companies? Are you guys in communication with each other to make sure they're okay? Yeah, we communicate. So we have over 7,000 members that operate in over 1,400 venues. We communicate with these members uh, almost on a daily basis, Alex, to understand and identify what's challenging them and how we can best provide resources. And I can pick up the phone and simply call this uh, on the commercial facility side with the Department of Homeland Security and actually try to figure out a way to get resources or to solicit for resources in areas that are needed. If that's what I represent is all the commercial facility side. It's really nice to have that that ability to tap into our, our federal partners for assistance. And they're always readily available to assist us as best they can uh, with their capabilities and the resources that they have available to them. By the way, if you have a question for Mark, I'm going to direct them to your Twitter right now. Um, IAVM Herrera underscore H-E-R-R-E-R-A. Um Let's say people need help. Can they turn to you guys? Let's say they want to help. Can they turn to you guys? Listen, they can turn to IBM uh, at any time. And if they want to reach out to me, um, more than happy to assist. I may not be able to help them personally, depending on what the request is, but I'll be able to find the resources that can actually reach out to them. And I'm always more than happy to do that, um, you know, for, for anyone. What's it like to have a connection to the Department of Homeland Security uh, during a time of crisis. That must feel really empowering to help, to be able to help through them. It's, uh, it is. Uh, you know, we, we help each other, right? Uh, so it, it kind of works both ways. But, yes, it is, uh, it is a great feeling to have those resources available um, that assist all of our communities in the midst of crisis. And it's nice to be able to pick up the, the, the phone and again, we always talk about having those relationships, you know, with all your local, state, and federal agencies at all times. Having that contact that you can pick up the phone and say, hey, look, I need some help, or can you guide me to the right resource? This is what we need. Um, that's, those are the relationships that we have to develop, and that's what, that's what we do through, through IABM is we advocate for the entire uh, venue industry, right, all public assemblies. And we have a civic duty to provide safe, healthy, um, and secure environments. So obviously we're kind of a go-to association, especially in the midst of crisis. So people can reach out to us at any given time. And if they ever want to sit in on some of our town halls or our committee call, or town halls, our sector town halls and or our security town halls, they can come to me and I'm happy to, you know, let them sit in and, 
and they can hear the conversations as to how we better prepare the entire industry, the venue industry, uh, to mitigate against any and all types of risks. You know, venue management, I had someone on about this a while ago, but maybe you have a different take. The air filtering, I mean, that was a big deal with the indoor dining and the, and, the, and whatnot. Um, have you guys managed that air filtering idea to get people back inside, or, or are you what, – what's the adjustments made there? So, so we work with the Global Bio-Risk Advisory Council, which is a division of ISA, the International Sanitary Supply Association of the World. They were part of the Ebola crisis. These are the scientists that help identify – uh, you know, based on science and fact, you know, how this, how this health pandemic and this virus actually affects people. You know, it's an aerosol, right? And, uh, and I'm assuming this is what you're referring to. When you talk about your HVAC systems, yeah. that's, a, that's a critical part of, of controlling the airflow. You should always focus on direct airflow and obviously maintaining humidity levels, you know, within a certain level. The information that we receive is that the virus has a hard time sustaining in humidity levels that are within between 50 to 60 percent. So if you can maintain those humidity levels, that is one way to mitigate it. It's not uh, a guaranteed zero-risk uh, free zone, but at the same time, that's one method to mitigate. Utilizing the MER filters is something that has been highly recommended. But direct airflow and, and pulling in outside air in uh, is, is very critical. Um, it's, it's so important. So, yeah, we're working with teams that actually help identify how to best utilize your HVAC systems to actually push and move air within within all the different facilities. I've got to ask you about this because it was a hot topic last week. The Mavericks made news because of Mark Cuban not playing the anthem. But I, I assume you work with them because you're in Dallas, and I'm sure you see a very different side to Mark Cuban. Have you seen the Mavericks come out in the community and, and really be helpful during this? I can't. I can't say that, uh, you know, I, that, that I have personally seen that. I have seen, you know, I, I know that I've seen uh, Mark Cuban actually take care of, you know, the American Airlines Center staff in the midst of, of this health pandemic. Aside of that, I'm not saying that, that, uh, that it's happened, or it hasn't happened. I just, I just don't know. Uh, and yes, I, I am involved at times where I have actually trained their staff here at American Airlines Center. Um, but here recently, in the middle of this crisis, I, I can tell you that's the only thing that I know. Hmm. Isn't it crazy how in Dallas that was the story nationwide, and now it's completely changed in a week. And uh, I mean, not that I, I believe in playing the anthem, of course, but sometimes it's like a bigger picture, and I think everyone's seeing that right now of course no, yeah, yeah absolutely right now you know I, again when you start you know when it when it gets very political uh it becomes a challenge um you know there's there's people some people are you know some of the folks are standing up for the anthem some are kneeling and that's just the way it is right now that's just, try to it is what it is. That's that's actually happening right now, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of comments and there's a lot of, lot of uh, uh, feedback that says, you know, we don't like it or it's all right. Um, so it's, you know, again, it's all the political unrest and and uh, that's that's taking place right now. And again, Marcus, the fact that 
Mark's back with us. Obviously, the phones are not as crisp down there with all this going on. But I've got to ask you, now that we're on sports for a minute, were you there to help, you know, the Jerry Joneses, the Cowboys bring fans back? Were you part of that effort? I said, you know, in regards to bringing them back and, and, and the NFL, I'm heavily involved in helping with the public assembly recovery guidelines that we pushed out. And it involved, a lot of that involved the sports leagues as well. They were a part of our calls. They were part of our discussions. Um, so in, in some sort of a sense, we did, we did help and assist, not directly, but they were part of our conversations. So a lot of the sports were part of our conversations that they were able to take, know and understand what are the health precautions that needed to, needed to be in place so that they could start up their season. Um, and it was just kind of a give and take. We were working closely. IBM was working closely with both infectious disease and obviously the you know CDC and uh, and the Global Bio Risk Advisory Council to make sense of all this. And again, we were we weren't gonna. It wasn't about uh, putting our emotions in front of what was going on. Decisions were going to be based not on emotion, but based on science, based on factual, reliable, vetted information. That's what we owed the, the industry, and that's what we were going to give them. It wasn't going to be speculative because we're talking about a health pandemic. And we wanted to make sure that when we rolled out events, whatever it was, we're in a stadium, in an arena, uh, performing arts center, that we the right thing to assure that we protected the number one asset, and that's people, Alex. Yeah. What, what, what inspired you to get into this industry? I'm, I'm kind of curious. Alex, I started my career young. I was 18 years old when I started working, uh, uh, you know, in, in law enforcement. Um, and I'll tell you what inspired me. I've always been, somebody says, you know, it's, it's really cheesy to say that you're out to just help people. But I have a, I have a hard time watching people endure and suffer in situations that could actually have been prevented. And so I've always wanted to be the catalyst that would assist them by giving them the tools, the training, the resources, so that they can help themselves and others and the teams that they lead. And also help the leaders and, 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 and building unstoppable teams, you know, having leaders that, uh, that really emulate uh, what the leadership is under the, under the current, uh, you know, elements. And, and obviously in a whole new DNA, but being able to actually get in front and, and make a difference. My reward is when I receive a call or I receive information that somebody mitigated some type of a risk based on the information that they received through our training. And in this case, our IBM live training, which I, I push out. You know, we do the mindset, the situational awareness training, the exceptional focus, performance, and control in extreme situations. You know, how to program the subconscious mind to show teams and people things that they don't see on a regular basis as it pertains to crisis, and then giving them a plan of action so that they can instinctively roll out, roll out a response objective without putting the thought process into it. That's a win. See, everything's got to be automatic when you deal with crisis. Being able to train these teams and then hearing the success stories afterwards, that's kind of the reward system, uh, you know, for, for me. And that's the, the passion that drives me at the end of the day. And somebody says, well, you're, you know, one of the top security experts, and I don't look at it that way. I look at it as I'm just very passionate and driven in what I do. But if you ask me what makes me good at what I do is I align myself with really awesome industry experts and professionals that I have actually learned a lot from. I see that you're doing presentations, and I'm going to really encourage people to go to the Director of Education for International Association of Venue Managers, IAVM underscore Herrera. Uh, Mark Herrera is my guest to, uh, today, tonight, and I'm so excited to finally get to talk to you about this because um, 
we see here there's like a bicker of indoor dining. Should there be indoor dining? Should there not be indoor dining? And then, and then you talk to people who are in the industry. It's like we can make it happen. And honestly, I wish more people had that mentality of we can make it happen. I get they're scared, but leaders also have to be fearless and to make things happen, don't they? Listen, I always say never let fear, never let fear affect your ability to make good, sound decisions or to make an attempt. Right. Never walk away from it. Always manage it, deal with it, and do the walking away from it, jumping on a plane, and leaving uh, leaving the stress behind is not the fix, especially if you're tasked with the responsibility of assuring that others' safety is paramount. I always say you've got to walk the walk, talk the talk. You've got to stand in the fire with, uh, with, uh, with all of your teams and the people. That, uh, that you have sworn to uphold and to protect at the end of the day. And that's just my, my take on it, uh, Alex. I agree. Well, one last thought, because Texas, I feel, is changing dramatically. It's It has some blue in it. It also has a lot of, um, you know, they're going against sort of the conservative norms, if you will. Um, are you seeing that change, or am I just seeing this from the outside? Are you seeing a change to where, yeah, uh, government is going to step in a little more with the fines and all that. Like you never saw that in Texas, the finding of someone in, in Texas, they're all about freedom, but what, what's the reason behind the change that we, we outside of Texas are seeing? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question, Alex. Um, you know, I don't know that I have the, the, the clear cut response or answer to that, to be honest with you. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that create change and cause change in the world that we live in today. You know, people eventually start developing and uh, they start developing a sense of, you know, of really truly understanding right from wrong and what needs to change despite, you know, despite the political affiliations that they're, that they're typically aligned to. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of my, my view on, on the entire thing. It's like people are now hungry for, you know, doing the right thing. What is right? Uh, despite uh, anything else. And I, I think that's, that's what you're seeing. All right, one last thing because I, you're a sports fan. I just saw your Twitter. You're talking about Bill Russell. You're, you're you're clearly a sports guy. You love sports. Did you ever get to do any management in the Astrodome? I got to ask you that. So I have trained staff in uh, within all the sports, uh, probably most of the sports leagues. Right, um, the Astrodome. I can't say that I I did there. I, I never had there in the in the Astrodome. Uh, however. Most of the other facilities to include Super Bowl staff, yeah, that I have, uh, and it's really it's really awesome to be able to go in and train, um, you know, staff and industry professionals you know, throughout uh, throughout our homeland and even even in other countries as well, such as Canada and Mexico. Uh, it's such a rewarding feeling that you're making a difference in helping them secure their environments and their facilities. And again, that's what we do. I think Puerto Rico is one that that I, the first live train thousands of people. Um, and it's, it's the passion to to see that people receive the tools and the training they need uh, to manage risk. Mark, I got to be honest. Speaking of risk, one last thing I, I could I could tell in your voice 
that while everybody probably is panicking down there, you are so calm. It's like we're talking to someone in the midst of this disaster and he sounds so calm, but that's what leadership is, that calmness to get people through it. And I, I could see now why people call you up for advice. Hey, how do I get through this? And they'd be even interviewed on podcasts because you've got that calming voice for Texas and I would say America right now. You know, Alex, that, that means a lot. Um, I've been involved in, in numerous stressful situations, but, you know, you said it best. You know, as a leader, you have to stand strong and you have to stand the fight. Listen, hard times don't create heroes. It's during the hard times when the hero within us is revealed, right? So you have to be able to hang in there and fight the good fight for people. And when people are stressed out, you have to know that there's going to be an end at the end of the tunnel. You're going to see the light at the end of that tunnel, right? And you're going to have to power through it. You're going to have to keep people encouraged and have them stay positive and keep them motivated the entire time and collectively try, collectively and collaboratively trying to find a way to mitigate any and all hazards and take an all-hazard risk approach to assuring that people are safe at the end of the day. And listen, everybody knows the answer to everything that, uh, that, that we need to do to protect others. But listen, together, we put our heads together, we can find a way. And once we get through this, we're going to be better at the end of the day. We're going to look back and go, you know what? What we encountered was a gift, and I'd never want that to, I'd never want anybody to take that away from me. But somebody asked me one time, they said, with all of the adversity and all the things that you encountered working just special operations, do you wish you could go back and take that information, take that away, and just re- do a redo and never have to encounter those hostile situations? I said, absolutely not. I said, because that became a gift that allows me to give back to you so that you can better protect yourself and your environments at the end of the day and so that I can be that resource of information. I may not know the answer, but I can find your resources for you. Can I call you again, Mark, to, to figure out why and how these restrictions get lifted? I mean, beyond what we're what you're dealing with now. I mean, in nationwide, how when we start to see restrictions lifted, I'd love to bring you back to figure out how they were determining all that, um, if you're able to. Happy to do so, Alex. Uh, any way that I can help, and again, I'm here to help any and everyone. So uh, feel free to reach out to me if I don't know the answer. I'm going to tell you, but I'll find you the uh, the person that does know the answer. So, yeah, absolutely. Is there an email people can reach you at? Yeah, they can reach me at uh, mark, M-A-R-K, dot Herrera, that's H-E-R-R-E-R-A, at, and that's I-A-V-M dot org. That's I-A-V-M, so it's Ida Adam Victor Mary dot org. Uh, Mark Herrera, thank you so much for adding not just realness, but some some positive spin to what's going on. I think we need more of that outlook of we can get through this. I, 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 it, it's amazing that it doesn't happen from the media. It happens from people on the ground. And I, that's why I go to you guys, because you guys have the best outlook of all of us. So thank you. Thank you, Alex. And thank you for what you do. And thanks on uh, providing your audience and your listeners the information that they need. You're, well, thank you for coming on and providing it. I'm Alex Garrett, and we are always adapting.